had some time at the Collins home and then we went over and saw the new facility and walked through and we were just just stunned because the last time we were here um, and go to go through the facility it had been destroyed and it was uh, a heartbreak and to be on the exact same property and to experience such joy and thrill and not just again it's not because the facility is beautiful and it is but just thinking of the folks that are going to be reached and thinking of the lives that are going to be changed and thinking about the marriages that are going to be restored and thinking of the prodigal sons and daughters that will be coming back and thinking of the little ones that we were raised. We were talking as we were walking through about the children we would be married there and the, and the, the, the uh, new converts that would be baptized there. And that's what we were seeing. And what I love about the facility is that every square inch is just usable. You know, you are going to use it. You're going to tear it up. You're going to put it back together. You're going to tear it up. You're, I mean, it's, it's there to be used for the glory of God. It's not a sanctuary that we're gonna, going to try to protect from anyone messing up. That facility is there to certainly minister to the body of Christ, but also to reach those that you would never have any other way of reaching. In other words, as a result of that investment that you're making, which I commend you for your sacrificial giving, as I've watched this process from a distance, you know, quite frankly, uh, and this is just my my perspective, but what's happening here to even make it possible is miraculous. It's, it's unexplainable. You don't just sit down with a piece of paper and do your bottom line and it all works out. There's something drastically wrong with you people. Uh, you're just strange. You're you're uh, some, something ain't right here. And, and whatever ain't right is wonderful. And again, it's not not because of your sacrificial giving. It's because of your heart, which is obvious in the way this building's been designed to be used for the glory of God. So um, we're we're just thrilled by what God's doing, how the Lord's preserved you these last several years. It has been just you, this church is a household word in all of the churches that we're related to in this region. And I, I do have the privilege of working with the churches in Florida, uh, in the Caribbean, in Georgia and uh, South Carolina, and obviously the church here. But you guys are just a household word. And that's because we prayed so much for you. And, and so many of the folks in these churches have given financially so much to to help and to get you guys through uh, such a horrible situation. But just just seeing what the Lord has done, just knowing the difficulty. Uh, we went through a building project in the year 2000. Actually, it was a couple of year project, 98, 99, 2000. We finally got in. Uh, we were supposed to be done in nine months. It took us two years. But um, we've been in our, our facility now for uh, almost eight years. And, and I remember this stage of development and I remember the difficulties. And so we just wanted to come and care for you, care for your pastoral team. And then also just realizing how things are going to be changing for you, and how the challenges that you have uh, in, in being in two different locations. And and I was you know realizing that for many of you, you only get to see the rest of the church in your small group. And then consequently, it's just just them that you see. You don't get to see there's there's a whole other group of believers that you just don't get to see very often. What a joy it will be for you to all be back together again. 
But just all of that at once. We just wanted to come and see what we could do to care for you and for your your leadership team, especially. And then the idea of my wife serving with the ladies. This is very unusual for us to come together and immediately split up and go different directions. Quite frankly, I don't like it very much. Probably never do it again. But for you, um, I I did want to just thank all the men that release their wives and are going through whatever you're going through. While she's gone, Uh, I expected to see a bunch of forlorn, grumpy men this morning. Um, But really, thank you for releasing your wife uh, and making it possible for her to go. But I I mentioned to you that you're a household name amongst us because you are deeply loved and cared for. And it is is just a, a joy for us to see what the Lord's doing here, because it really is very specific answer to prayer. And we are joining with you in believing God to just continue to use this church to have a major impact on this city. But we really do believe it's going to go beyond the city. We believe this is going to be a church planting church. In other words, not just about reaching the people in this particular location, but every city that you know of close by needs a church just like this. Now, if you're our guest, that doesn't mean that we think we're the best church. We don't think we're the only church. We don't think we're the cutting edge. Anything like that. It's just God has given us something very, very precious. And we just want everyone to have what God has given us. And so it is our desire to plant churches throughout the state and really around the world. Because we want everyone to hear this glorious gospel and to be able to respond to it by grace And then to enjoy what it means to live in the good of the gospel on a daily basis. So hopefully this morning uh, we'll spend a little time in the word. And I really do believe this will be a passage of scripture that will greatly encourage you. I trust it will build you up and equip you. I pray that it will strengthen you. I pray that it will thrill your soul. So if you turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to look at a very, very familiar passage of scripture. It's been told as a story to children. It's been um, proclaimed in plays and and alluded to in speeches and and has been one of those very, very familiar aspects of of Christian teaching that really has been used in a variety of ways, even in the secular world. This is the parable of the sower. And as you know, the sower is going out and he's casting seed because he desires a harvest and the, the interesting thing about this particular parable is that it describes the soil that the seed falls on and the result of the kind of soil that the seed falls on and what how that affects the um, the the harvest. And then this is one of the few parables that Jesus actually interprets for us. So, as you know, many of the parables, you, you just study and pray and scratch your head and wonder, what was Jesus talking about? What does that really mean? But thankfully, this one is a lot easier for us because Jesus actually interpreted it for us. But as you know, for us, our tendency when we read scripture is as we're reading something like this or another passage of scripture, our tendency is to think about ourselves immediately. What does this mean for me? What does it mean in the context of my life right now? And and that certainly obviously scripture applies to us today. But our first step in understanding scripture is not to think about us, but to be God centered. In other words, as we're reading scripture, our attention is toward what God's doing here, what God's wanting to communicate here. And why did God 
inspire this to be not only spoken, but then recorded. Because it does say even here that Jesus spoke many things, but all of, all of those many things were not recorded. The Bible also tells us that all the things that Jesus said, that if they tried to record them all, there would not be enough books possible to contain them. So we know that there's so much that Jesus said that was not recorded. Wouldn't you love to know what that was? But then why did he choose for this to be recorded? And what is his intention? The original intention of the Holy Spirit in inspiring this and preserving it for us. So what I'd like for you to do is not just immediately think about yourself when you think about the parable of the sower and not immediately try to figure out what all the different parts of the parable means. Because a parable is a story that has another meaning. It, everything in the parable represents something else. So instead of going there, what I'd like for you to do is with me in your imagination, go to what's, ha- what's happening right here. Go to the setting. Go to, in your imagination, the fact that you're walking through probably many fields. It was an agricultural society, agrarian society and culture. And you're walking through... Fields that have been sown or harvested. This is something that's very, very familiar to you. You're walking to the, this lake, the water's edge, to hear, perhaps you've heard him before, or maybe you've just heard about him, to hear this new guy preaching, not sure what he is, don't know if it's Elijah come back, don't know if it's some other prophet that's, that's been reincarnated or something, or returned from heaven, don't know if he might be the Messiah, don't know if he's just a, a really eloquent, effective rabbi, I'm not quite sure what to think. Everybody's scratching their head. But you're on your way to hear this teacher. And it says in verse uh, chapter 13, verse one, the same day, Jesus went out um, of the house and sat beside the sea and great crowds gathered around him so that he got into a boat and sat down. So there was this natural amphitheater of him out a distance from the shore in a boat. And as he spoke. As you will know, those of you who have studied this, that his voice would just be carried across the water and up onto the bank where a great number of people had gathered. It says the whole crowd stood on the beach. They weren't even just sitting there. It wasn't just a casual atmosphere of, yeah, whatever he has to say. Sometimes you might see projected in movies or whatnot. They're standing they're on the edge of the shore. They're, they're getting as close as they can. They're, they're really hanging on every word that he's saying. It says they, that he told them many things in parables and then is recorded for us this particular parable. Now, again, it takes some self-discipline to read this thinking about the folks that were standing there on the seashore. They're not quite sure who Jesus is. I'm sure people were speculating like crazy. And those individuals, again, whether you'd heard him before or hearing him for the first time, put yourself in the position of one who is hearing this standing on the shore. And as you hear the parable, think, what was Jesus trying to communicate? What, What was his objective? What was his purpose? What did he want that crowd of people to walk away with? And when you think about that, it's helpful then to consider the context and not just the setting, because what's going on here is that Jesus is now ministering publicly. He is boldly declaring 
the kingdom of God through teaching and through these parables. But he's also demonstrating the coming of the kingdom with signs and wonders. He, he's doing things that people could not explain. It was beyond amazing. The documentation was right there walking among them with people that were healed and people that had been transformed and their lives had been radically changed from, from those that were just greedy and, and authoritarian and misusing the authority and those kinds of things that now they're becoming humble and they're becoming disciples and, and there's these changes going on around them. In fact, some that are coming in this crowd may, are, may be coming with someone that's already been affected. And they know something's going on and Jesus is explaining to them and communicating to them. It's the kingdom of God. And what he did in his parables, what he did in his teaching was he made this stark comparison between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. He was ushering in a new covenant. And everything was changing and it was difficult on everyone. And so we can truly say that what Jesus was saying to these people was indeed revolutionary. It was messing with their theology. It was messing with their experience, with their traditions, what they thought about the past, what they thought about the future, how they were supposed to to, to live their lives in in their land under uh, Roman uh, authoritarian leadership. It It was transforming everything that they were thinking about and had known in the past. So put yourself there and then think about what is it that Jesus is saying? Because they're wondering, could he be the Messiah? What he's talking about, though, are the very things that they have been longing for. The things that they have hoped for for all their lives. In fact, they're Dad had prayed for these things. The things that Jesus was talking about were the very things they'd heard their dad pray for. And probably granddad as well. And probably heard about great granddad and great, great granddad. I mean, this is through the centuries. The things that Jesus is talking about. The things that he's talking about coming to to pass now are the things that they had long waited for. So Jesus is just opening their eyes to see and realizing that the prayers of the people are finally being answered. And so in verse one, it says that same day, Jesus went out of the house, sat by the sea, great crowds gathered around him. And then he told this parable. A sower went out to sow. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Whatever you have probably is very close. A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured them. Now, remember, this is a society built on agriculture. As I said, they probably walked by the fields that had been sown in this way. Probably most of the people listening to him had experience with sowing the seed. So he's talking about something as familiar, ladies, as going to the mall. I mean, it's just really familiar. It's just the way life is for them. And so he's talking about the sower. Some of the seeds fell along the path. They knew what that was like. And they had experienced watching the birds come and pick up the seed that that fell on the path that they walked in. It was hard soil. 
and, and so that was not a place for cultivation. And the seed wouldn't get into the ground. It would just lay there and the birds would come and the birds were pretty excited about it because they got to eat and it was all free. It says the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground because many, if you've ever had the privilege of going to the to, to this part of the country, this kind of the world, um, you would have fields that right in the middle or in different places would be these huge rocky areas that they just didn't have the ability to clean out. So they would actually have their fields around rocks at different times. So there'd be different sections that were more rocky than others. And they knew what it was like for seed to fall on rocky ground. There just wasn't a, enough soil there for there to be a full harvest. And so it says there was not much soil and immediately they sprang up. And since they had no depths of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. So they knew what it was like to go back to the field, having sown seed and see the seed that was on the, the rocky soil. They, they'd see it sprout up. But then after, you know, some hot uh, weather or whatever, they would watch it just kind of wither. That was all very much a part of their life. It says, and since they had no root, they withered away. Verse seven, other seeds fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked them. And there may there there were areas along the sides of the field that would just be full of weeds. There would be some sections that families, although they had more land, they weren't they didn't really have the resources to cultivate it all. And so there'd be sections that were just weeds and thorns and whatnot. And they knew that seed would fall in there and it would try to grow up, but it just never make it because the weeds would just choke it out. In verse eight, he says, other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain. And again, the, the hearers. Of this story are with him. Now, by this time, they may be wondering, what's the point? We know all this, but we know this. It was very, very familiar until he gets to the punchline. The last part of verse nine, he says this. The soil produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirty. Now, for most of us that are not farmers, that doesn't really mean anything. Obviously, if you have a hundredfold, that's better than sixtyfold, and sixty is better than thirty. But we don't understand what thirty means, and that's when Jesus says, "He who has ears, let him hear." And you got to know, the folks who were listening to Jesus, their brains were buzzing at that moment. What does he mean? By a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. Now, in between this is a short passage of scripture that explains why Jesus even talked to the people this way. And if you want to be challenged in your theology and your view of God, read that. We don't have time today, but just spend a little time there. It'll challenge you. But in verse 18 of the same chapter, Jesus does then begin to explain what this means. And he says, hear the parable of the sower. Verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What's he talking about? Well, in the parable, it was seed. But Jesus is telling us that the seed represents the word of the kingdom and does not understand it. The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. Okay, here are the parallels. Seed word. Not understanding means it's not fruitful. It, it, it's not in fertile ground. In this case, this path, this hard soil that had just been walked on over and over again, 
It doesn't penetrate the soil. It's just laying there. It's not understood. And so we find out now that the birds represent the evil one. The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. We'll come back to that in a moment. Verse 20, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word. Again, the emphasis on the seed is the word. And immediately receives it with joy. So it falls on this rocky ground. There's not very much dirt there. And it springs up quickly. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation... Okay, so now the hot weather represents the tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word. Immediately he falls away. In other words, withers. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, oh, that's what the thorns are. That's what the weeds are. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches. They choke the word and it proves unfruitful. It tries to grow, but it just isn't able to. It's choked out. Verse 23, for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. And again, even those that had ears to hear, even those that were making the comparison, they can see where he's going with all this. But then he says that bears fruit and yields in one case, a hundredfold and another 60 and another 30. And that blew their minds. Now, before we get into the meaning of all this and, and how it does apply to us, I think it's very important that we. We consider what was going on here in their hearts. A very common sight, trying to figure it out. And Jesus gets this last part, 160, 30. That's where it became not normal, not usual, not ordinary. In fact, it just became absurd. They were stunned. And some would be disbelieving. And it's not possible. They know. They, they, they've tilled, tilled the soil. They've, they've planted the seed. They've, they've harvested. They know you don't get a hundredfold harvest. Nobody does, ever. You don't get a sixtyfold. Thirty is outrageous. So you have one or two reactions. You either have, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. They might be sitting, well... I heard he was a carpenter's son. Maybe that makes sense. He's not a farmer. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Or there's another reaction. And that would be the self-seeker that's thinking, whoa, if this guy knows how to get a 30-fold or 60-fold, 100-fold harvest, I'm going to follow him. This guy knows something that we don't know about. I want to get in on this action because they knew that the idea of 30-fold was was way beyond beyond anything they would ever imagine. You see, in that day and age, their harvest would be at about seven to ten percent. Ten percent was a great harvest. In other words, for the amount of seed that you sowed to the amount of harvest you had, ten percent was just considered amazing. So if somebody came up with a way to get 30 percent, sign me up. But he started at 30 percent. And he went to 60 and he didn't just double it. He went to 100. That was beyond anything they would ever normally expect. And so, again, 
Jesus is taking something very common, which is what he did in the parables, something very normal, something very easy to understand. And he revolutionized it with an understanding that was way beyond what they could ask. And in that stark contrast that he's making, he's showing the difference in the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. He is ushering in the new covenant. You see, this idea of a 30, 60 or 100 fold harvest is Representing the supernatural, not the natural. And that, my friends, is how you and I are called to live our lives as Christians. Not in the normal, not the way it always happens. But the kingdom of God is all about walking by faith and experiencing things that are not normal. In other words, as scripture says, we pray. And how I enjoyed the prayer meeting this morning. How I enjoyed hearing just one after another. In fact, we almost had to kind of cut it off in order to start the meeting. Just how delightful it is to hear individual after individual, men and women, just crying out to God. But the Bible says we pray. And then how he answers is he goes beyond what we can even think to ask for. What we can even hope to expect. That's the kind of God we serve. And this parable is describing that kind of a God, a God that goes beyond the normal 10 percent and triples it as a minimum. As a minimum. Now. You can hear that and think, yeah, right. I live in the real world. I don't know what it's like for you in Orlando, but I'm in New Orleans and. My life isn't supernatural. It's very mundane we got lots of problems here, and I just, I'm not sure I know what you're talking about. I'm not sure you know what you're talking about. Or, you can have the thought of, whoa, I want to get in on that. If you're talking about me having three to six to ten times what I normally have, hey, sign me up. And sadly, many times, what we call The health and wealth gospel, the prosperity gospel many times is just that. It's teaching something, teaching biblical ideas in a way that feeds the greed of individuals and wants them, makes them want to get in on it because it's like, well, man, if you can show me a way to turn my 10% harvest into 100%, I'm in. And that's why it's so careful. We have to be so careful with Scripture and make sure that we're considering all that God says and all that he is as we study so that we don't draw close to a man-made God. A God of our own choosing, a God that pleases us, a God that does what we want him to do. A God that really gives us opportunity for more of what we want. Because the Christian life isn't about what we want. That's why it's supernatural. It's not about having your marriage healed. It's not about having your children grow up and, and, you know, be decent individuals. It's not about protection to keep your home from being burglarized. It's not not about just all these things that we need, getting my bills paid and trying to stay healthy. It's not about me. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about God reconciling a fallen world to himself. Through the the substitute, the sacrifice of his son on the cross, 
that we might be reconciled to God, that we might be friends of God, that we might walk with him and talk with him, that we might experience the kingdom of God on earth as a precursor to experiencing the glories of God in heaven. And it's all about him. It's all about him bringing us to himself. It's not about us getting what we want. And so, like those standing by the shore, you might hear things in Christianity. You think, wow, man, they're offering a whole lot more than the local bar is. I've tried the drugs. I've tried the illicit sex. I, I've seen the, the devastation. And these folks seem to be happy. And these husbands seem to love their wives. And the kids are kind of respectful for the, towards their parents. And boy, I went in on this. I want some of that. It doesn't work. You see, some of the same crowd that was hearing this teaching were probably among the crowd that ended up crucifying Jesus. Great crowds would come when he would feed them. Because they were hungry. Because they didn't have to work for it. They didn't have to make the meal themselves. But those crowds quickly turned into angry mobs that mocked and ridiculed and scorned him. You see, we're called, and Jesus is introducing us to, a life that's supernatural. Living in such a way that we are experiencing things things that we don't see and we don't expect. And we live our lives in a, a regular state of surprise. Every time you read Scripture, as you understand more about what it's saying, and as that word was to encourage us about going deeper in Jesus. Every time you are going to be surprised. You're going to find as you read scripture, your idea of God being challenged. You're not always going to like what you read. And you're going to be challenged. Do I I believe in this kind of a God or am I going to take bits and pieces of this to create my own? You're, You're going to be amazed at his mercy and his kindness and his patience and his love. You're going to be surprised over and over again at how he provides for you and cares for you. And he does prosper and he does bless. But you're also going to be amazed at how merciful he is. That, yes, he does love to heal. But it's not just for your sake that he heals. It's not just so that you can feel better that he heals. He heals for his own name's sake. He he heals for the glory of his name. It's hard for us to relate to that as human beings. When we think about that, we think that that sounds proud. But as you understand God from Scripture, you realize that the greatest thing you can do is glorify his name. And therefore, the greatest thing God can do is glorify his own name. He is honored and he's blessed when he delivers those that are in bondage. He is greatly glorified when he rescues the perishing. And I got to. Sneak in suspicion that even though there are many of the wives that are not and, and single ladies and and uh, unmarried ladies that are not with us today. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure there are folks here today. You need something more than normal. You, you need the supernatural in your life. There may be specific situations where you really need an answer from God And you need it today. It may be a besetting sin, something that just last night you sinned sinned again in a way that you promised yourself Monday of last week you would never do again. 
And the, the condemnation that comes on us when we sin repeatedly and we, we read scriptures like in, in John where it talks about those that are genuinely born again, they don't continue in sin. And we're like, oh no, what does that mean? Because I keep sinning. Those of you that are struggling with relationships or perhaps physical disease or the list can go on and on. Maybe you need deliverance today. You don't need a message on how to get deliverance. You don't need five steps to deliverance. You just need God to touch you. You need the supernatural. You need God to do what only he can do. And that's why I'm glad you're here this morning. And I trust that this brief um, exposition and study of this parable will really help you today and set you up for the very thing that God does want to do in your life. Now, the people are stunned. They're trying to figure out the secret. But Jesus isn't teaching a prosperity-oriented, get-rich-quick kind of message here. Now, it's no question, Scripture is clear, and evidence in our experience and throughout history, God loves to bless. God is supernaturally generous to us. Just think for those of you that have been sacrificially giving to make this building possible. How can it be that God's allowed you to give what you've given? Well, because he's blessed you in ways that are amazing. God not only loves the blessed, but he guarantees that he's going to provide for us. He guarantees he's going to take care of us. He, he guarantees that we're going to have the grace that we need for anything that we face. And so God does bless us in wonderful ways, but he also promises we're going to suffer. He promises there are going to be trials, that we are living in a fallen world, that there's going to be adversity and even persecution. And he promises that even in that, he's going to give you the grace to overcome anything you may face in life. Did you hear that? He's going to give you the grace to face anything that comes upon you in this life. That's the kind of God that he is. So this is this is not Jesus preaching some sort of a try Jesus and see what he can do for you kind of gospel. He's opening their eyes and he wants by the spirit this morning to open your eyes, my eyes, to see the glory of the kingdom of God. It's a kingdom like no other. And it's important to understand where Jesus even got this from, because, as you know, for Jesus, the scriptures would not be the New Testament. The New Testament was being written. It was being recorded in his life. And, of course, then after he was crucified. And ascended back to the right hand of the Father. And so for Jesus, the scriptures would have been what we know as the Old Testament. And we know that Jesus knew the scriptures well. He quoted from them. In fact, if you turn your Bibles to Isaiah 55, you're going to see where very probably Jesus is studying and learning. And discovering more and more himself. And where this idea of a seed, meaning the word, could have come from. As he had been taught all of his life as well. In Isaiah 55, verse 8, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Aren't you glad? <laughs> Aren't you glad God doesn't think like you do? We would all be in trouble if he did. Neither are your ways my ways. Now, we don't like that one quite so much. Wouldn't we all prefer that God kind of did things the way we wanted him to do it more? 
Um, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And I, this is the kind of scripture that I encourage you to have up on your mirror. So you're looking at it. You need this every day. <laughs> you need to remind yourself of this every day. Verse 10. First, the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, bringing it forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Now he makes the comparison. So shall my word be. You can see where where this would be an, an Old Testament idea, a scriptural understanding. Jesus isn't teaching something that they that would have con, uh, contradicted the Old Testament scriptures. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So Isaiah is making this connection seed for the sower. My word, as you sow, that's how my word goes out. It has the same kind of effect and there will be a harvest, he's saying, and I will glorify my name. You can just imagine Jesus reading this and 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 seeing what was common experience in his life in that culture and, and then putting these pieces together. You say, well, Jesus was God. He didn't have to do all that. Well, Jesus is also fully human. And I know that's a mystery. I know that's a challenge for us to fully understand. But but the Bible says Jesus grew in his teaching. He was disciplined by his parents. He was trained. He learned to obey God. He, he made it very clear. I only do what the father tells me to do. He didn't act on his own. And Jesus was very aware of, of sowing and harvesting and the celebration that came with the harvest and the feasting and the excitement. Everybody loved the harvest. And in verse 12, we see it here. You shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth with singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Why the harvest? Why? Because the seed has accomplished the purpose. The word has accomplished a purpose for which God sent it. So the connection here is between seed and bread and the word. And then we also see in Matthew four, you don't need to turn to this, but Matthew four, verse four, if you're taking notes where Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. Everyone understood that you have to have bread to eat. But Jesus went on to say, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So this was an understanding that explained the parable. The focus of this parable is the seed. Not the agricultural method, not necessarily even all the soils or even the sower himself. Now, in the next parable, in verse 37, the parable of the weeds, it actually identifies the sower as the son of God, the Christ, God himself. But in this case, we see this seed being the focus and then how fruitful the seed is. That's what this is all about. Now, I, you've probably heard lots of teaching on this, and there's a lot of emphasis on the soil. And certainly we learn a lot from that. And it's helpful in many ways, which we'll see in a moment. But the focus that Jesus is presenting here is on the seed. It's on the word and the fruitfulness of that word. And the fact that the fruitfulness of the gospel, the fruitfulness of the seed would be what kind of soil that it falls on. So in verse 18, when he says, hear the parable, we realize one commentator said it this way, that God spreads his word widely among all kinds of people. He sows 
on all these different soils. But many respond to his word with less than saving faith. In other words, all the seed doesn't produce in the same way. It's not as fruitful. That is what Jesus wants us to understand about this parable. The seed, the gospel, is going to fall on different kinds of soil and it's going to bring a harvest concurrent with the kind of soil that's there. That soil is representing our response to the gospel. You're going to see that as Jesus interprets this for us. So the gospel is proclaimed. The gospel is sown in the heart. And now we're going to see the different responses to the word, to the gospel. We're going to see the difference in supernatural fruitfulness and really what's an unimaginable harvest to them, what's normal in the kingdom, and then what happens when that seed is not received. So the first soil in verse 19, which is called the path, we see there that the seed or the gospel is heard, so it's sown, but it's not understood, as I mentioned a moment ago. And so it, it doesn't get into the soil. And so it just ends up being stolen. So obviously it's fruit, fruitless. Uh, the only ones that benefit from this is the evil one, <laughs> the birds. And so there's this evil coming in and snatching away that seed that intends to bear much Harvest. Well, what's wrong? Why isn't it? Why isn't it fruitful? Because it falls on soil that's hard and uncultivated. It's being walked on continuously. And those, again, that were listening would have a, a real understanding of what he's talking about. But for us today, it also helps us to understand why some people don't respond when you share the gospel with them. Because many times when you are sharing the gospel, you're talking to someone that their heart is like the path. They may have been walked over by religious people for years. Perhaps they've been through a variety of religions. Perhaps they've been taught heresy. Perhaps they've, they've been taught by the culture. Many, many things where they're not receptive. They're not understanding. They're not responding. And so instead of us, you know, wondering what's going on, why is this happening? When it does, it gives us a way to specifically intercede for that person. I don't know about you, but when I share the gospel with somebody and, and they don't respond, I'm tempted to take it personally. I'm tempted to get offended. I'm tempted to not want to talk to them anymore. I'm, I'm tempted to want to shake the dust off my feet. Because they've rejected what's so precious to me. But this parable helps me to realize that, no, 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 no. It just shows me that when, when they're not responding, when, when they don't see it, when they, when they react, when, when it's, it's not having any effect at all, it shows me, okay, what I have here is a hard heart. I need to intercede. I need to pray. I need to cry out to God that he will change the path and he'll turn what was the path now into a fertile field. Oh, God, change the heart. He can do that. He's done that for so many of us. But it gives me a way to intercede. It gives me an understanding. And also helps me to realize how dangerous it is to become religious and legalistic and self-righteous. And just walk back and forth, back and forth, and really not pay attention 
to what's going on. So the second soil is called the rocky ground. And here we find seed falling on the rocks, a little bit of dirt there. So it's heard. The seed actually is received. It's heard. It's received. The first time it was heard, but not understood. This time it's heard and actually received. But then when difficulty comes, it withers. It's abandoned. When tribulation comes, when persecution comes, it, those individuals, instead of responding in faith, it says they fall away. Isn't it heartbreaking to us when someone comes in through Alpha or through an invitation or through, you know, just your neighbor, just sharing the gospel or at work or on a sports team or, you know, at school or whatever. You share the gospel and, and they respond. They pray and ask the Lord Jesus to forgive them of their sins. And, and you, you get to start having biblical fellowship with them. And you read the Bible together and you pray together. And, and, and you, you have a whole new relationship and it's built on Christ. And it's just such a joy. And then after maybe days or weeks or months, they start pulling away. And next thing you know, they're not wanting to really be around. They're not wanting to talk about those things. And then they're avoiding you. The next thing you know, they're not even around anymore. Isn't that discouraging? Well, this helps us understand what's going on. They heard. Uh, they, they received. But when the difficulties begin to come, they fall away. One commentary said it this way. It's a temporary superficiality masquerading as true commitment. Now, to us, it looked real good. We thought it was the real deal. And, and we can't allow ourselves when someone does accept the Lord... And they are responsive to sit back and go, we'll see. Wait till they have some hard times. We'll find out if this is genuine. And I'm not going to really give myself to you. I'm not going to really respond until I find out if you're genuine. That's just self-righteousness. That's just being a Pharisee. No, anytime anybody responds, we're in faith right from the start. But there are times that we found out, you know what? Their soil was rocky ground. There was some soil there, but it wasn't very deep and their commitment was superficial. And it helps answer the question, why do some respond with such zeal and then just walk away? So now you know how to intercede for them. Lord, I'm praying that you'll take the rocky soil of their heart and that you will cultivate that, that you'll till it up, that, that whatever it takes, Lord, would you turn that rocky ground into fertile soil? Because, oh, I love my friend and I so want them to experience the kingdom of God in its fullness. So instead of rejecting or reacting or resisting or walking away from. Now I know how to pray. Now I know how to approach this. And so I go back to sharing the gospel with them again. I go back to reaching out to them again. I'm believing God. I'm interceding for this soil, the soil of their heart to change. Now, the third soil is called the thorns. That's in verse 30, uh, 22, excuse me, verse 22. This seed sown among thorns. Again, here's the word. So the seed goes into the soil. But now it says the cares of life and deceitfulness of riches choke it out. Now, if you studied this before, you know, instantly as Christians, we think about this and it's a warning to us. No question. That's a valid application. We need to be alert to this spiritual danger because it's very, very real. 
And what's happening here, presumably, is that the seed has rooted, at least to some degree. It's made it through some of these difficulties that the other seed didn't. The, the adversity, the, the persecution, the hardship, some of those things. But the enticements of the world prove effective to rob this seed of its fruitfulness. And so consequently, although there's some growth there, there's no harvest. There's no fruit. And so, even though involved, even though responding, folks drift away. Or they come week after week after week, and they just don't change. They don't bring people with them. Their faith to pray for the sick doesn't grow. Their, their focus is constantly on themselves. They're easily offended. Sometimes they leave the church over petty disagreements, and you just wonder, what happened? What was wrong? Well, the Scripture's helping us to see, Jesus is helping us to see, that the cares of life will do that to you. The deceitfulness of riches will choke out this precious seed and rob you of the fruit. And when you see that happen in others' lives, what do I pray for? I pray for the cares of life. Because many times you can see it. One of the reasons they'll begin to kind of walk away and kind of not be available or whatever is because they're just overwhelmed. So what do we do in those kind of situations? Well, we reach out to them. We try to serve them. We try to help them with the things that they're dealing with. And as we're able, as they're open, we help them make the connection. Look at this. The cares of life are, are robbing you blind. The cares of life are sucking the very life out of you. Do you understand God's blessed you with riches that are just drawing your heart away from God? You love your boat. You love fishing on Sunday more than you love gathering with the saints. Something's terribly wrong. Now, of course, you do that when there's a relationship and they want to hear it. And, and you have opportunity. You ask permission. We're not just going around hitting people over the head with big Bibles. But at least in your heart, you know where you're going. You're praying for these things. You're asking God to turn their heart so they won't be deceived by these things. And then, so that we're not being self-righteous, we pray for those things regularly ourselves. You know, the deceitfulness of riches is a reality for every person in this room. You may not feel rich by an American standard, but I'd love for you to go with me to visit some of our brothers and sisters in Haiti. I'd love for you to go with me to go and see some of our brothers and sisters in Cuba. Or Bolivia or some of these other countries that we have the privilege of of ministering in and and being a part of planting churches and seeing the kingdom of God grow in those in those countries. But just just spend some time with our brothers and sisters there and you're going to realize just like that. You are among the richest of the rich on the face of the earth. Just having a car to drive, just having running water in your home, just having a home. Just having clothes and more than one or two things to wear. I could go on and on. My, my brothers and sisters, and this affects me. We, we had this wonderful dinner with uh, Keith and Gina last night. Had a wonderful time of biblical fellowship. We stayed way too long and knew the ladies had to leave early this morning. And we wanted to get done early. But, you know, God was just at work. And we were, we were you know, just talking about the real things going on in our life and helping each other and building each other up and correcting each other. And, and, and just, but we sit down at the restaurant and they gave me a menu. And on the menu, there was like five or six different 
or seven or eight different appetizers. There were a whole list of salads. There were a whole list of different varieties of sandwiches. Then you get to the entrees and then you get to the, the pastas and then you get to the, you know, I mean, it's just amazing. Page after page after page of choices. Our brothers and sisters in Haiti have no choice. They will never see a menu. In their entire life, they'll never see a menu. They, they don't go to restaurants. Even our brothers and sisters in Cuba, they don't go to restaurants. They don't have them. They're not even allowed to own a car. If we sent them the money, they're not allowed to own the car. There are no car dealerships. You and I, and I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. Please don't hear that. God's blessed us, and he blesses us for his glory. But he doesn't bless us just so that we're fat and happy. And that we have everything that we need. Riches are deceitful. They are scary. Yes, thank God for the riches each of us have. I feel like I'm the richest man on the face of the earth. Bill Gates has nothing on me. Absolutely nothing. My relationship with my wife, my, my relationships and friendships in the church, my relationships with my, with my children. Uh, I, nobody can buy the beauty of the kingdom of God in your life and all that God has done. There's just no way. But understand that the riches, the material blessings that you and I have are deceitful. So deceitful that many of you don't even think you're rich. And we need to understand that can choke this precious seed. And so when we see that in others, we should quickly look at ourselves. Let me see how my brother got into that. Am I doing that as well? And then we get to the fourth soil, which is the good soil. soil everybody likes to talk about. But I want you to see the soil a little differently than you might normally. This soil received the word, so they heard it, and obviously, in this case, understood it. And it's bearing much, much fruit. And it's important you see that progression. Hear the word, understand the word, bear fruit. That is what the kingdom of God is all about. You hear, you understand, you bear fruit. And that's how you can look at your own life and say, Lord, what's going on in me? Am I hearing? Am I understanding? And is there commensurate fruit? Because if you are hearing and understanding, there's got to be fruit. I mean, you don't, you don't have a, a fruit-bearing plant that gets up to a certain point and then just stops. Unless something's drastically wrong. That's against nature. It's natural to go on to bear the fruit. And so there... Needs to be fruit in my life. There needs to be fruit in your life. We, we need to be hard on ourselves in the sense of, Lord, I'm not willing to live my life fruitless. I'm going to go after those issues that would allow me to be fruitless. But I want you to understand this good soil represents you. It represents the kingdom of God. It represents those who are believers. Who have given their lives to the Lordship of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are the church. We are the good soil. And God wants you and I to see that his intention is 
that you and I bear more fruit than we could ever imagine. And again, this doesn't have to do with me. It has to do with what he does in me and through me. I'm surprised when I see fruit. I'm amazed. But by God's grace, every one of us want to see fruit. We want to see change in our lives. We want to see those that have been reached. We want to see those that are being served. We want to see the kingdom of God forcefully advancing in our lives. But you and I have the same problem that the people standing on the shoreline had. I'm telling you, God wants your life to be 60, 100 fold, 30, 60, 100, way beyond the normal. And just like those those individuals listening to him being tempted, like, that's not possible. I don't know how that I, I don't believe you. I'm asking you today, when you see this, when you realize this is the soil that I am. Are you believing do you believe that God intends for your life to be fruitful in a supernatural way? Or are you content to just kind of live your life and just kind of get along and do the best you can? Well, I help out a little bit with this and I've done a little bit of that. And yeah, we, we help some people over here. And a couple times a year I do this. And yeah, every once in a while when someone's in need, I'll, I'll, I'll hand them a 20. And, but you know what? My, my life's full. And you're just content to just let your life be full and just go right on. Or are you agreeing with God for supernatural fruit? I'm not talking about the pastoral team. I'm not talking about the super spiritual here, the ones that you think are the most spiritual mature. I'm talking about every believer, everyone that's heard, everyone that's understood. Are you believing for this kind of fruitfulness? Because I find that takes discipline. In other words, it, I have to work at that. And, I, and it takes faith. Because it's a lot easier to not believe than it is to believe. You understand that? It's a lot easier to say, well, you know what? I'm not that talented. I, I can't play an instrument. I can't do this. You know, I'm just, I'm going to be one of those faithful people that just sits there. You know, these guys have to have somebody to talk to. So I'll be one of those. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll help out when I can. And I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to be one of those folks that sit and, and, you know, just do whatever? Or are you going to be a believer in this radical kingdom, in this supernatural harvest? Are you going to open up your life and your heart to the kingdom of God as opposed to a kingdom of this world that you understand and may be comfortable with. Let me give you an illustration because I know that all of us struggle with all kinds of things in our life. There's, there are these battles that we have and some of them, by God's grace, we overcome maybe quickly and other things may take a few weeks or years. Another thing that seems like I'm still battling some of the things I battled as a teenager today. And you wonder, is it ever going to go away? Something that's been very helpful to me when I'm thinking about what's going on here and how do I evaluate this fruit. Those of you that are history buffs, you, you are very aware that uh, of, of in World War II, there was a, a title given to a day. It was called D-Day. You remember when D-Day was? 1944, June the 6th. That was the invasion of Normandy. It's called D-Day because that day marked the end of the Nazi Empire. It was the turning point. The war effectively, for all practical purposes, was won 
at that battle. That was D-Day. Now, all of us as Christians have a D-Day. And that is the day that Jesus was crucified. When it comes to your battle with sin, your D-Day was when Jesus substituted himself and took the price and paid the penalty for your sin. It was done. It is finished. The Bible says he remembers your sin no more. Now, that was quite a while ago that he died. So how about the sin that I'm committing now? Does he have to die again? Scripture says very very clearly he died once for all. He does not have to. It's not like the Old Testament sacrifices where they had to be repeated over and over again. He died once. That means he he died for all the sins you had committed and all the sins we're going to commit. It was done. It is finished. Price paid. But the battle's not over, is it? Well, in World War II, the battle wasn't over either. In fact, there was another day called V-Day. What was that? Victory Day. It was May 8th, 1945. It was the official day, the day they signed the papers, total surrender. For us as Christians, that V-Day is going to be either the second coming of Christ or our death and being then ushered in to glory, being glorified. That's going to be our V-Day. Now, what's so helpful to me in this is realizing there was a lot of time in between June 6, 1944 and May 8, 1945. And there was a lot of warring going on, a lot of battles going on, a lot of fighting going on. But the battle had already been won. It was just a matter of time. Now, the guys that were fighting all those battles between those dates, uh, they may not have felt like that. And you see, that's where you and I are now in our lives. We're in between. The battle has been won. Jesus is saying to us in this parable, I've got fruit for you. I've got a harvest for you. It's beyond anything you can imagine. And yet we haven't fully realized that yet. We're still in the battle. And as far as we're concerned, it's a real battle. It's not a joke. It's not just on paper. You and I are fighting for our lives when it comes to the battle against sin, when it comes to reaching the lost, when it comes to caring for the poor. So how are we to see things? Well, understanding that that V-Day is coming and it is guaranteed, there is nothing to be afraid of. Your worst sin will be overcome because the scripture says that he promises that he'll complete the work that he's begun in you. You are going to be like Christ. I'm trying to look at every one of you in the eyes because you are, if you are a genuine Christian, you are going to be in the image of Christ, in his fullness. In his, that's what Ephesians 4 is all about. Even the, the purpose of the local church, elders are given this commission to train and disciple and equip to the fullness of the measure of Christ. And, and every day of our life, every year of our life is, is getting closer and closer. That's what this life together is all about. That's why we have the local church. That's why you don't just do this on your own and you sit at home and read the Bible or just watch Christian TV or whatever. We come together because we're fighting together and we need each other. And the church has been given to us to sanctify us through and through that in the process of these relationships as we're listening to Scripture, as we're responding. I'm sorry, I'm talking so fast. I'm just getting excited. Slow down. Okay, I just want you to be able to hear me. 
But you see, that's why we're together, that we are going somewhere. We're not just building buildings. We're not about building buildings. We're not about how many churches we planted. We're not about how many nations we're into. Sovereign Grace Ministries isn't some major denomination or major organization. We're only talking about 60 or 70 churches in the whole world. It's no big deal. We're nobody. We're not trying to impress anybody. We don't have any, uh, any, any records to send in somewhere. We're not entering in any kind of a contest. We just want to live our lives for the glory of God. We want to do all that we can in our lives. We want to be fully conformed as much as possible into Christ's image. But in spite of all of that we experience in life, there's always going to be a lack. And that lack is guaranteed to be made up when we're glorified. So when you're battling sin now, there's no place for fear or anxiety or worry. When you're fighting the kinds of things you do in life, there's no place that's why the scripture says, be anxious for nothing. Why? Because you know the day's coming that it's going to be over. And you know that he's given you the grace for whatever you're going through. And you know, at least now you know, that God wants you to have lots and lots of fruit. And so we persevere. And we endure. And we walk by faith. And when we see sin in our life, we repent. We turn from it. We're, we're, we're mortified. We, we, we're not just casual with it. But we realize, please hear this. Your sin, my sin, is no match for the grace of God. Think about that. The battle has been won. You are no longer captive to sin. You no longer have to sin. The only reason that you and I sin is because we want to. Because we agree to. Nobody makes you. Whatever your sin. Now, I understand the helplessness of being tempted. I understand being drawn into it. I understand giving into its little things and then find yourself in a place you don't want to be. But nobody makes you because Jesus has constitutionally changed your heart. And your life. And you are free from sin. You are no longer a captive to sin. And I know you went through the series a while back about freedom. What a great series that was. And knowing these things and understanding God's perspective, we really can have faith for what God wants to do. So sometimes it is. I need deliverance. I need God to set me free so that I can be helpful to others. Other times... We're believing for the deliverance of others. We're praying for their healing. We're expecting God to move in their life. We're asking for the lost to come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, even in sharing all these things, I believe this is setting you up for a prophetic word for this church. And I trust you just take this, certainly judge it, and meditate on it, and um, hopefully it'll be a real encouragement to you. But... The church in Orlando, we have a prophetic team and, and those that are gifted in this way and just sent along a, a word that I believe fits right in with what we're talking about this morning. And, and here is basically that word. We have a picture of this church and Satan's schemes attempting to discourage the faithful. 
that there's an onslaught of attack against the faithful here in this church. It's very subtle. And in many cases, it's below the surface. It's very deceptive. But what it's producing is a weariness. And the danger is that these faithful ones are being tempted to drop their sword. In other words, to relax and to back off and to stop working and stop trying and give up. I believe the Lord would say, the Holy Spirit is here today to come to you. The Holy Spirit is here to refresh you, to actually pick up your sword for you and put it back in your hands that you might get back into the fight full of faith. With a confidence, with a faith, a reminder that God's plans will not be thwarted and no power, no scheme of hell or the evil one will overtake this church so that your eyes can again be lifted to see your mediator, Christ himself, sitting at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you right now as we speak that you might experience blessing, that you might understand that God is for you and he's not against you. Let's pray. Would you stand with me, please? Father, I just thank you that we can be together. I thank you that you do give us ears to hear. I thank you, Lord, that This makes sense to us. And we are understanding. And I pray that you just increase the understanding of everyone here today. More and more as we meditate on these things. As we pray about them. And Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of those that are being tempted. Those that are weary. Those that are struggling. Those that are wondering what's the point and can I continue. And that you will... Give a fresh faith that you will refresh those that are weary, that you'll strengthen those that are weak, and that there will be an expectation of deliverance, an expectation of healing, an expectation of you doing the supernatural, that which is way beyond what we can even think or ask for. Father, would you change our perspective towards our circumstances. Would you change the myopia that so many of us have where we're just only seeing what's immediately in front of us or what's immediately around us and we're missing the bigger picture. Lord, let us not be caught up in the kingdom of this world, but give us a glimpse, a fresh understanding of the kingdom of God that revolutionizes our thinking and, and, and radically changes our perspective Father, right now, I pray, would be that D-Day for individuals here where you convince them that the battle has been won. They'll realize that this is the work that you're doing in them and through them. And there's nothing to fear. There's no reason to back down. Because that day of complete likeness and conformity to your image, that day of glorification is there for all of us that are true believers and it may be closer for some of us than it is others. Lord, give us new faith. 
and set free those that have been bound by doubt and unbelief. Those that have been worrying and anxious and fretful. Oh God, help us to see, even as we sang, your greatness and your power and your might. Lord, let this parable convince us of what this seed is capable of. The amazing harvest that goes so far beyond our imaginations. Oh God, let us see how fruitful you intend your word to be in our lives. Not letting that just be for somebody else, but owning it and expecting it. And then preparing our lives for that harvest. Oh Lord, we ask you in the name of Jesus. Just as we close, if, if you feel like the Lord is really speaking to you today and you'd love prayer yourself, would you just raise your hand right now? Just, I mean, you know right now if it's you and, and you're just simply saying, I, I really do want prayer. Would you, can we get some folks that are around these folks that raise their hands and just, let's just take a moment and pray for them specifically because God, God is after them in a, a very specific way. Those that have just raised their hands, just gather around them and let's just agree together. Um, I'm going to ask Matt to lead us in that prayer and then to close the meeting with just a time of thanking the Lord. Lord, thank you that your promises will not be thwarted, Lord, that your promises have staying power in our lives. We ask, Lord, that you would demonstrate your vigilance for your purposes by working within these who are standing, who have asked for prayer, Lord, that they would sense the wind in their sails and a fresh filling of your Spirit to be about obeying your call on their lives, to be about responding to your word and to the gospel, or to be about looking away from themselves for the ultimate fulfillment, Lord, and, and, and looking to you for the empowerment of your grace at work within them to produce a harvest of fruitfulness for the glory of your name. God, we look to You. You are the Lord of the harvest. Lord, soften the rocky soil that may be abiding in hearts of those who are here. Lord, break up the fallow ground. Lord, turn the path that's been a headland where the tractors have been rolling over it time after time. Lord, turn that into tilled Rose that receive seed, that hold water and respond to sunlight. Lord, create the effects that you promise. Lord, and, and most of all, we pray that you would give faith to everyone standing who has asked for prayer, that they would leave here not feeling like the burden is on them alone, but Lord, you have you've called and invited and said, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. 
my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Lord, it's light because you share this. Lord, that we are enabled by your Spirit to cast our cares upon you, knowing that you care for us. So accomplish this work because you're faithful. Glorify your name. You are worthy. 